good one. Come on in. That's yeah. you there. See those headphones? Oh, yeah, well, the full experience of I should have. Thank you. Glass of water. I always put the headphones on. Do you put the headphones on when you do radio? Always. I always put the headphones I love on. It. Of course I do. I. I love it. it. Sounds so much better. It sounds so much better. It's the it's the direct opposite when you used to play with the tape recorder when you were a kid and listen back and go. Ah, yeah, oh god, that's no. not me, is it? Yeah. <laughs> Unless you go, yeah, that's how I sound. That's listen to exactly all those my dulcet tones. Thank tones. you. It's yeah. Lovely. David Tennant does a podcast with Catherine Tate. So, Catherine, you've just finished a big tour and a West End run of The Catherine Tate Show. I have. Yeah. Full of characters you've been doing for, some of them for like 15, 20 years no, now? Definitely not 20 years. <laughs> no? 20 years. Is no, that not possible? For sure. No, it's definitely not. Partly because, you know, when I did the TV show, I'd never really done any of those characters. Had you not? No, no. some of them predated Some of them they? did. I mean, I did the old lady character a version of it doing stand-up. So probably yeah. in that... But I never came out as a character in stand-up. But I used to do that old lady voice right. when I was in stand-up. And that would have probably been about... There you go. Just about. 20. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And that was the first time you'd sort of taken it on tour like that? Yes. I should have done it a long time ago, but I didn't, you know. And then, yeah. and then when they said, well, do you want to do it? I was thinking, well, I don't know if anyone's going to care or remember. And, oh, they did, though. And they did, and yeah. that was lovely. And now I can put it to bed because it was all new material but it yeah. was it's existing Do, is yeah. that does so does it feel like the end of a chapter rather than the beginning of a new oh yeah touring chapter <laughs> beginning of a new touring chapter where as i've said before if i carry on doing it i will need prosthetic for the teenager and no prosthetic for the old lady <laughs> <laughs> well you did do the old lady without prosthetics i did yeah. yeah but that yeah. was just it was practicality because um because the only time I felt self-conscious about it, funnily enough, was in the West End. Because before that, we'd been playing such much bigger venues. Right. And we realised you you couldn't do the intricate prosthetic that takes an hour and a half to yeah. put on. And all the kind of crude versions that pulled over your head that we tried phototypes of, prototypes of rather, just didn't work. Right. I looked like Hannibal Lecter in a lot <laughs> of them. And it, and it was more disorientating than actually... That beyond the first three rows, you couldn't notice anyway yeah. in, in most of the venues we were playing. Apart from the fact that when I walked through the audience, because I come in as yeah, now, yeah. <laughs> in Australia, they kept going. When as I was walking through the audience, and everyone's like, oh, hello, hello. Yeah. Uh, in Australia, they kept going, oh, Nan, you look so young. And I'm like, shut up, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Don't draw attention to that. If you, Nan's had a facelift. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was just practicality and you realised... It, it was the live version of the yeah. character. and in a big know. venue, it's more like that kind of silhouette with the hair. Yes, the... exactly. And the, I mean, the prosthetic does an awful lot. But I mean, obviously, um, it's absolutely far more, um, far more scandering when people don't realise you're not wearing. Yeah, quite. Was there? A, did you? Did your vanity take a hit? Go. Apparently, I can get away with this. Pa- pa- apparently, this I is can all play right. An octogenarian yeah. uh, with no no help whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> It was sort of a greatest hits tour, wasn't it? You were kind of yes, but none of the material. Had no, been no, seen of course. Before. But all those characters. I mean, people yes. were sort of waiting for yes, yes. the characters that they love yes, to come out. I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see it as a way of saying goodbye to a lot of those characters? Um. Yes and no. Never say never. Never say never, obviously. David. No, no, never say never. Um, because I'm actually I've written a, a Nan film. Fantastic. Which is great fun. Yes. And I do think that's probably the one that 
you know, as as we like to say in the business, has got the legs right. <laughs> to carry on. Yeah. Um, and I think it's the probably the most popular character. After many years, as you say, of not doing it, just mm. doing like Nan specials, of suddenly coming back and going, oh, I remember this, yeah, and it yeah. was great. But I'm not, I'm not in any way um, sentimental about work. So you know, I I leave a job and go, yeah, that was nice. I right. don't, I don't. Even though these characters this. are, even though these characters are from you, yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad that they're there, and I I've loved doing them, and I'm so grateful and appreciative that people still love them. But I never held on to them. I, I was never thinking, oh God, I hope I go out and say I'm a bothered again or anything yeah. like that it, it it gone did they sort of slightly haunt you were you kind of because you you almost play with that when you do Lauren the schoolgirl character on the in the show yes. you play with a bit where you go I ain't saying it yet yeah 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 like you yeah. were kind of playing with yes. people's expectation and yeah. a sense yeah. that yeah oh it, actually I remember us doing a thing a broadcast thing where you had said at the time because it was at the time of Doctor Who, yeah. and you saying from a career point of view, I feel like my epitaph's already been written. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. I felt like that with Emma Bob. You know what yeah, I mean? And yeah, it's yeah. that thing, and it's it's the it's the twofold thing of going, how lucky to have an epitaph at all. <laughs> how lucky to have something that will people go, oh yes, I remember yeah. them. And at the same time, it is that thing of going. I would quite like to do other things. Yeah, yeah. And, but it's certainly not being disingenuous about them. I think it just sat quite neutrally with me. I neither missed it or felt okay. that it had outstayed its welcome. But I am aware that, and because of YouTube and yeah. Facebook and things, people that I know would have been far too young when my show came out know who I am because of this, um, yeah. you know, because of little bite-sized bits of pop culture, that I suppose, that come round. A bazillion views on YouTube yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is, of course, an extraordinary thing. Yeah. yeah. So when you were thinking of, when acting became a thing for you and you thought you were going to drama school, presumably the notion was never, oh, one day I'll have an almost rock star-like comedy tour. <laughs> presumably it was more, I'm going to be Hedda Gabler. You know, or even, will I get a regular on the bill? Not that having a regular on the bill was a low bar at all, because I, I was on the bill quite you, a few you times. You practically were a regular. I mean, it was, it, was, it was like a job for life. <laughs> every couple when, of months? Every, well, every, when I left drama school, which is in the mid-90s, Nine, yeah, 94. If you'd been out of the bill for eight months, you could go in again as another character. Was it, could you time it that uh, Well, you just got a call. You were just aware. That... You just got a call and went, oh, you can go up for another part in the bill. And right. I, was, I was about four different parts in the bill. Although were they all kind of the same? No, I don't think they... Very, well, well, Did you show your range? I mean, I don't know that I had much of a range. I think it's... I never played a criminal. I was always... Um, you know, the victim. Right. I think at one point I might have played a young PC. But I think in all of the characters, I always said he was last seen going around the Jasmine Allen estate. <laughs> He's not from around here. <laughs> <laughs> it was that part, the Jasmine Allen estate. Yeah. Every, it was set on the Jasmine Allen estate. He was last seen. Did everything Jasmine. happen there? Was that part of their yeah. fictional no, that was hood? He, he was last... <laughs> Yeah, he was last seen around the Jasmine Allen estate. He's gone round the back. It was always he's gone round the back. But you, but you did play a young PC as well. I think you I did. You were seconds away from being a regular. I was. That could have been a very different career trajectory. It could have been. Yeah. I remember I got the job while I was still at drama school, and I. Oh, you did. Yeah, I got the. I, oh, I was did that make you filming? Your, oh, I mean, it was your, like I lauded it above me. Yes, your classmates must have we been were furious. <laughs> we were still doing like you know the showcases that you do yeah, in, yeah, in in yeah. in the third year, where for all the agents coming to see, and like I'd rock up and go, I'm sorry, I've had like costume fittings. <laughs> 
Yeah, sorry. Oh, God, sorry. Sorry, it's just the first. I'm telling yeah. about my call time. Oh, God. Oh, you'll probably find out about this when you leave. <laughs> um, but didn't you... And you went... You auditioned for drama school four times. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. It, it, I started... 17 or 21. Yeah, because I started when I was 17, yeah, and I went when I was 20. Right. What was going wrong? What was... I think... I Well, I don't know. Did you lose heart, did it? Yes, I did lose heart. Right. I did lose but heart. But you kept going back. I kept going back, yeah. For the school I went to, I was probably too young at 17. Right, you know? and, sure. And they, did, and they, to be fair to them, they didn't ever... And, and the heartbreak of it was, I used to always get down to, like, the final bit. The audition process was the survival of the fittest, and it was hard. Right. It was really <laughs> and hard, and it appealed to me because I'm actually quite competitive. Uh-huh. And what they would do is, in a single day, they would whittle down 30 people to four. And you'd, it would literally... And, and, and someone would come in, so there'd be 30 of you, first of all, and then someone would come in with a list of names and they'd call off the list of names and then they'd say, these people go to that room and these people go to that room. And some people were just being told to go and the other people had been told... So you didn't know what was got, in the room when you no, got there? No, you didn't that. know what was in the room until you get to the room... And there's more people than there are than in the other room, and you can hear the cheers in the other room because they've got in. That is, and it was brutal. brutal. And it was brutal. And for three years, I was in the room right at the last day where I heard the cheers of the other people. And Ah. and it and it was hard, but it gave me the taste of the blood. (laughs) Did it really? You thought I've got? I'm I'm not giving up on this. And to be fair to them, they always did say to me, "You're not ready yet. Come back." It's not like okay. a, on the first, you know, it wasn't like the first audition of X Factor where they go, stop, go away. Right. <laughs> You've not got a chance. No, it was like much more like week it eight was, when it all gets really personal. Yeah, oh no, it was boot, I, I got through boot camp. Yeah. You know, I was at the, I was at the judges' houses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're having tea with Simon. Yeah, I was having tea with Simon and he was telling me, I can't take you through. And so, and but. I, so did it just make you. Determined, yes, or did, it did. Would, you, I, would you have a cry? Would no, you... never had a cry. I remember one time going in, going back to the audition panel and laying into them. Wow! And it was the year before I got in, and I just went. What did you say? I can't remember what I said because I didn't plan it. But I would just remember going. I mean, something you know, obnoxious and teenage, probably like you're kind of regret this. <laughs> You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> exactly as they do when they come back in yeah. to Simon Cowell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> On the first go, yeah, I'm going to be a big star. <laughs> and did you have a sense of what kind of actor you were planning to be? I always knew I had a facility for comedy. Right. And you'd sniffed and out the power it. of yes, that as a kid, did you? I absolutely had. Right. And I also knew, because also before I went to drama school, I did... Um, I did a, a bit of performing because I'd, I I was in like because it was the nineties, and I did um, impro. I did impro impro shows, imp- uh, improvisation as a kid. Shows. No, no, before I went to drama. Oh, school. you mean in that right? Your late like, teens. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I remember being in my third year doing a bit of stand up, and on the circuit was Matt Lucas doing his character, Sabona Chumley. Right. Yeah, yeah. But your stand-up wasn't in character. No, it wasn't. No, 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 it was never in character. No, it was just... What sort of material were you doing? It was all kind of, you know, as Alan Partridge Partridge would say, telling an observation. Right. It was very... Well, and I think stand-up is still like that, you know, that it was all the the stuff for 
the political stuff had gone, you know, the surreal stuff wasn't really there. I mean, it was that Eddie Adele was doing it and probably Ross Noble, but it was just being yourself. And what I found I also had a facility for was comparing. Because right. comparing, you don't really need material. You just need to have the guts to just go out and speak to people and, I see. and, and, and work a room, really. What it did was when I got to drama school, I had a li- I think I had a tiny bit of an edge in things like impro, which mm. most actors find very frightening anyway, yeah. and especially when, you know, when you've just got there. And I liked that, but I also noticed that I would always veer towards comedy. Right. You know, in an improvisation, mm. you know, and most improvisations at drama school are not comedy because they don't really touch on comedy. No one, no one teaches comedy. It, it doesn't seem. But I would realise I would always hijack the scene <laughs> towards the punchline. Right. <laughs> that, sure. that I would deliver. You were fearless when you got to drama school, you mean? You just had a fearlessness. I, I don't know that it was necessarily fearlessness. I think there was a cockiness that had come from having done a fair bit of performing. Right. And I'd done a lot of performing at UCS. So had you, had like you ne- had performing had never made you particularly nervous? You know, it had just been... No. A, right. No. Extraordinarily, given I was a painfully shy right. child. I mean, to the point where if you'd have gone back to my 10-year-old self and pointed out people in the class and said, oh, actually, this person's going to get their own they're going to get a TV show. Yeah. And they'd have gone, abs- I mean, 100% not, because <laughs> as, you, as you notice, she cannot open her mouth without stuttering or going red. And right. yeah, I mean, I was just petrified. But so what, how did you, it, was it just performing know, released you in a way? I or? don't know. And, and yet I think it was this thing that I've always had, which is bizarrely, even though I was incredibly shy and incredibly, I lacked an awful lot of, I don't know whether it was esteem or self-confidence, but at the same time, I'm extremely competitive. Right. I'm extremely competitive. And what it was, was I think I'd look at people and go, I know I can do better than that. I can do better than you. Why are they, why are they saying you're good? <laughs> and yet at the same time, but this is how really, I kind of think, I don't really know how it happened. I can remember the fear the absolute dread and fear of a, like family parties when it when it when it came around and they go oh let the kids get up and do something right you know where like the kids would be encouraged yeah, to get yeah. up and do a turn and i remember the fear and the dread of going and hiding away and thinking one day i'll be old enough where i can turn around and say no i'm not doing this i don't have to do it and and it's strange that then somehow that became my way through it yeah so when did it when did you first start realizing you could do it I think performing for me came through being at school and it I found that being the funny one was a safe way to identify myself because it made me in control of how people would identify me because if you know if you're 13 you get labeled everyone gets labeled Mm. and rather than being the ginger one or the shy one you know, or the specky one, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> or the fat one, or the one who can't do that. I thought, I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the funny one. So you knew, and, that think, you, and you knew that you had the capacity to be funny. You knew your yes. brain worked in that way. I suppose I did, but it only came about saying something out loud in class and it got a laugh. And I remember feeling, I remember like, suddenly I, I, I kind of like primed like a, right. you know, like a wild animal. I was like, what? What was that? What was that? <laughs> Sniffing it. Sniffing it. And and then I realised, oh, oh, okay. I, okay, I could be a bit of a bit of a jester. But I think what I sensed most of all was 
a sense of protection. So it was a survival instinct. Yes, absolutely survival okay. instinct. Because what you can do is disarm people. Mm. And I was, for a brief time, I was definitely the target of awful teenage girl, right. you know, mm. insidious bullying, like passing notes and, you know, because, oh, you know, really yeah, the yeah. dread, oh, the dread, yeah. the dread and, and awful. And I turned it around. Right. And just got into a new group of people and almost within my own well actually yeah within the within my own school and within my own class I rebranded myself really consciously I think so yeah and then at that point on I think I became known as the funny one mm. and yet then when I went to uh I mean I did dot around a lot of schools <laughs> right dotted around a lot of schools but then when I went to a boys school I didn't want to be the funny one anymore. Sure. <laughs> I didn't want to be the funny one. No, I wanted to be Kylie Minogue. <laughs> well. Do you know what I mean? And, I, and because I was one of a few girls in a boys' school, I, I let all that go. Why did you end up at a boys' school? Oh, I think I got I got expelled from the convent. Oh, so you were quite a beat. Did you know what? I wasn't. I don't. I wasn't a troublemaker. What I'd done is I'd said I wanted to be an actress, mm-hmm. and what the nuns heard was prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, God, alive. She wants to be a prostitute. Right. And I didn't, obviously. I just wanted to be <laughs> There was different. There are, there are different jobs. <laughs> there are different. And I think they suddenly thought, we don't know what to do with her. We don't know what to do in terms of we can't help her achieve this goal. Mm-hmm. And so they sent me off to another school. But this was full of boys. <laughs> Who were the performers that you thought, oh, that's, that looks like Well, the, the thing do. that absolutely hooked me was a, a show called Girls on Top. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, girls yes. on top. And it was because it was four women. Right. It was French and Saunders, Tracy Ullman yeah. and Ruby Wax. Yes, I remember. And it was so extraordinary to me. I just loved it. And I also remember watching, although not entirely understanding, but I knew it was good. And it was a sitcom from America and it was called Soap. I love that yeah. too. Yeah. With Billy Crystal yeah. and the puppet, yeah. the, the ventriloquist dummy. And I just remember it. And, funny, and that is where I got my name. This is a story of two sisters, Jessica Tate and Mary Campbell. I did not know yeah. that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because you had to change your name for yes. union reasons. For, for legal reasons. For legal <laughs> reasons, yeah. But those American shows were just so, so seductive to me as a kid. Mm. I just loved them. Um, Starsky and Hutch. Really? Oh, God, I love Starsky and Hutch. Which one did you fancy? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Huggy Bear. (laughs) (laughs) He was very cool. He was so cool. And it was always, it was the two Ronnies and then Starsky and Hutch. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Two Ronnies and Starsky and Hutch. With the Generation Game before that and Doctor Who before that. Well, you see, I'm afraid I I think I was watching Basil Brush on the other channel. (laughs) Which, as we know, I've made no bones about no, my... No, you know. We'll get to that. About my... Yeah. 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 No, um, yeah, absolutely. It was appointment viewing. And were you going to the movies as well? You used to go to the, the cinema a lot. Also, because we lived in central London, you used to go to the theatre a lot. Well, right. What sort of things would you go and see? Musicals. Okay. And I remember the first time seeing Annie, and then that was it. That was like, well, there's me. Right. There's <laughs> me on stage. Yes. And I also saw... I think this is correct. And this would have been in about the mid-80s. Mickey 
Dolans, who was in The Monkeys. Yes. He directed Bugsy Malone. Yes. With a group of kids, as was the film. And my mum said to me, I looked at your face as you were watching this show, and she said, and I knew I'd lost you. I'd lost you to the theatre. And at that point, I then started doing National Youth Theatre and I I used to be a part of a a group in the the East End called the, the Curtain Youth Theatre and that did shape and change my life definitely so were you were you the kid watching the show and loving it but also think also a bit angry that those kids were up there and you weren't just like i don't even think i'd got to that point i was just enthralled with it at that point so i didn't really have this oh i could i could do that because i was still so shy i thought i don't it wasn't it i don't think then i was thinking i can do that i was then thinking how can i do that Mm. (laughs) you know what i mean but i know i want to do that yeah. Um, but people that... I think I saw that same production. Did you? I think it toured to Glasgow. Really? I remember Mickey DeLenz being involved somehow. Yes. And so, but then after drama school, so you left drama school early to work on the bill and you were... Oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I did the job oh. within my last term. Do you see what I mean? Okay. So I was like flitting backwards and forwards. Oh. Even worse. Worse. You know I mean? <laughs> Much worse. Did, Much you, did worse. that make you think... It, did that make you think, this is going to be easy? I think what, what it was, was when I left, I kind of went from one job to the next job. Uh-huh. Like little parts in TV shows, and that and that does lull you into a full sense of security. Mm. And then I got, I and then I got a theatre job. Then I did, I did Arthur Miller's All My Sons with the Oxford Touring Company. Okay, did that, and then I went into the National for a year. Well, you were understudying. I was, I was a small, and part, small part and and understudying. Yeah. yeah, your classic job out of college. Yeah. And was know, that, well, you unless find... you were incredibly yes. But were you fine with understudying, or was that frustrating, or? It was... Um, Were you just so delighted to be at the National Theatre that it... I was... Well, no, I was bored. Okay. I was so bored. I was really bored. Um, because the thing about it is you, know, you, don't, you, don't, you rarely get to go on. Did you get to go on at all? I did. Okay. Yeah, I did get to go on. Okay. In fact, I was understudying Marianne Jean-Baptiste. Mm, very posh. Yes. But by and large, I was very bored. I, I mean, I had a great time. It was fun and you yeah. get to dress up and... You know, they put loads of different wigs on you and it was fine. So you, you were in the shoes, you were sort of delivering trees. Yeah, saying, yeah, oh, yeah, I, I was made, exactly, uh-huh. a little part. I remember yeah. I had a little a little scene with Geraldine McEwen in Way of the World. Lovely. So at that point, you're, you are still doing a bit of stand-up? I didn't do stand-up properly until I left the show at the National because, of I, course, your evenings are done. No, you don't done. have the time, You don't have the time. And it was when I left there, I think I started doing it properly because okay. I realised, oh, God, I just thought I don't want to do... I don't want to do this. And then I think they asked me to stay on and do something else. I was like, no, I, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. I don't want to this define right. me. Actually, it was the year I got nominated for the Perrier that the RSC came a knocking. Ah. And instead of pursuing my comedy then, I decided to just go and do the RSC. Right. Yeah. Because that still felt like where you ultimately yeah. wanted to be. Yeah, for sure. So the comedy was always a means to an end, was it? Yes, I think it was. It was just about generating my own work. And mm. it, it was about being where I wanted to be, but having to go a different route, mm. you know, because I, I just wasn't on the list until I started doing comedy. I just wasn't on the list mm. of, because obviously, you know, when you come out of drama school, it's a saturated market. Quite. And, you know, there's three years above you and three years waiting to, to come up. There's many young people coming out of drama school, yeah. you know. And, I, and I, I had to go and do the thing that slightly set me apart. And I do think on the, on, at the time, on the stand-up track, I was fast-tracked a bit. Why was that? Because I was perhaps a little bit different to... Mm-hmm. to I, didn't come on and po- I didn't come on about 
do stuff about being a woman. Right. Or being a girl. You know, I came on and I was fairly gladiatorial and I used to really like and enjoy the hard gigs, the gigs that you had to be tough for, like in Edinburgh doing Late and Live, uh-huh. uh, which was a notorious bear pit. Because the hecklers came to be part of the Absolutely. show. Absolutely. I mean, they would in. decimate you, yeah. And there was also a, a club called Up the Creek uh-huh. in South London. Up the Creek, there was a level of heckling that had street smart wit about it and it was delightful do you know what i mean it was it was delightful but you're actively enjoying the harder it is i mean did you have many yes. bad gigs or could you i i had around? well someone said to me early on and i and it was the best piece of advice they gave me and they said you'll learn nothing from your good gigs you'll learn everything from your bad gigs mm-hmm. and i remember have and, and this was the other thing i started out stand-up and I, I kind of went um everything went went well do you know what i mean it was like oh my god who's this let's book her let's book her that's she's she's an, she's a beginner but let's let's okay. let's book her and then you get your bad gig and suddenly you go i don't know what to do i'm saying i i'm the same person but it's nothing and it's a decimating experience uh-huh. but it is invaluable because i remember and i remember it was in twickenham right and i remember getting back on the train and the whole of the train journey i unpacked what i did and what i could do and what i would do in future because what i'd never do is get off the stage because you have because the thing is if you get off the stage you won't get paid <laughs> if you don't do your time you've got to stand there and do your time i also learned what you do in that thing is if your material isn't working, abandon it. Um, it takes a long time to... You mean mid-show? Mid mid-show. If your material isn't working, abandon it. Don't keep plugging on and then going, oh, why don't you like this? You know, change tack, pick out someone in the audience, do something. Or, ridicule someone. Yes, ridicule someone. So, please, someone say something to me. so that I Because the worst thing that can happen is silence. You've got nowhere to go with silence because it's indifference. Yeah. And I do remember the most devastating... And to be fair, it wasn't to me, but it was to this other person. And it was this woman. And it was the most devastating heckle I think I've ever heard. And I've heard some terrible ones, you know, awful, sexist, rude, you know, like your shit, fuck off, you know, all that for no reason at all. Mm. And the worst thing was... Mind you, she was a a musical act, which can can be a little bit tricky and the crowd was silent and someone just shouted out what do you want (laughs) I just remember thinking you cannot come back from that because it's it's a fair question (laughs) if you're at a gig not getting any laughs or any response just I'm asking merely for information (laughs) so I did love the gladiatorial aspect of it so you, but then you started introducing sort of character monologues within you. No, I never did that. All I, the only thing I ever did was was tell a, a story about my nan, and I used the old lady voice, and that was all it was. And then suddenly, it, it just set me apart a little bit. Uh-huh. People started to talk about, oh, she does that. But you know, there was no. So when you were approached by like Jeffrey Perkins from the BBC yes. when he came up to you in Edinburgh, yes. he saw you doing a stand-up show that just. No, 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 no. I did then do it was because I'd gone to Edinburgh in someone else's sketch show in Lee Mack's show Lee Mack had a sketch show and he saw me on the circuit and he said to me you're good at voices aren't you um, do you want so to do was, a sketch show with me? It was Lee Max's idea to get you to encounter yes, these characters. Yes, it was. It was Lee right. Max's idea. I wouldn't have done sketches or anything like that. And then I started working with Lee for a couple of years and loved it. And it was mm-hmm. great. But I was very much 
the sidekick, you know, because it was Lee's show. And then I'd done that for two years and that was the show we got nominated for the Perrier for. Then I went to the RSC and then I thought, go back to Edinburgh because I'd been nominated for the Perrier or I'd been in a a nominated show. Went back to Edinburgh with my own character show. I see. And from there I got the TV show. Straight away. Straight away, that, yeah. That's the thing. I was, I was trying to think of anyone else who, out of a clear blue sky, yeah, gets their own self-titled, self-titled TV yeah, show. Yeah. Was it important to you to have your name in the no, title? No, it was, was, that their it was idea? his idea. It was Jeffrey's idea, actually, because I'd said, oh, I don't want my name in the show. Right. He said, oh, no, you absolutely have to. You must. He said, because for that reason, he said, you're the first woman who's had that since Victoria Wood. And I think she was then probably the only one. I mean, yeah. crazily, yeah. you know. But she um, sort of built up to that. Yeah, 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 yeah. With wooden waters and yeah, I know. No, I mean, I w- I wanted them to call it, you know, like the giggle box or something. <laughs> completely, you know, generic, you know, generic, exactly. Term. Don't don't be um, don't be putting my name to it. But of course, it would have looked strange as to why one person was getting all the, <laughs> getting all the yes, good lines, getting all the good lines. And I, I've got a feeling it was a working title. I remember like when we used to rehearse and stuff, it, it was just obviously the project was called The Catherine Tate Sketch Show. And then, you no, know, it was absolutely Jeffrey's idea. He said, we should call it The Catherine Tate Show. He said, because that's what it is. And, yeah. uh, and I was thinking, oh, God. I mean, but also, I mean, it's such an extraordinary thing to happen to me that I could never have, never in a million years have thought that was going to happen. I mean, as even as we were rehearsing it and, and filming it, I'd be saying to like Nikki and Matt, yeah, it's not going to go on the telly. I mean, they're absolutely definitely not going to put this on the telly because what a ridiculous thing that was. I mean, I couldn't get my head around it, that it would go on the TV. And yet it it did and yeah. did very well straight away. I don't think it did. I think it was a sleeper and they buried it, you know, in, in, in the BBC's wisdom. You know, they didn't really give it much promotion and... When when we asked, we said, "Why are you not marketing this?" And they said, "Well, no one knows who she is." Right. I mean, typical BBC That's stuff. Great. And then how it what really jumped it was that I did the Lauren character live on Comic Relief with McFly. Ah, uh, yes, I remember that. And yes. no one really knew that it wasn't actually I happening, see. and there was a lot of complaints. Right. Saying why why have you let this rude person do this? And then suddenly it really all exploded from there. And because of all the attention on that single thing, the BBC reran the first series, and people thought that was the first series. Quickly did the second series, and then it kind of I exploded. See. Yeah, right. And the, how did that feel to suddenly be? Well, how did it feel to be being recognised in the supermarket and all that? It was sort of extraordinary. Mm. Because it went, and I remember it was a six-week period where I was doing a play with David Schwimmer at the time. I was doing a Neil LeBute play called Some Girls. And that was over the summer that my second series had come out. And it was in a six-week period, it suddenly felt like everyone knew who I was. Right. And it really, it absolutely jumped up. And it was... How did David Schwimmer feel about that? (laughs) He was was very nice. In fact, because we couldn't see the first episode of my second series go out because we were on on stage, he did a private screening of it at the hotel where he was at. Oh, nice. Nice. So so we saw it on like a big cinema. So I remember watching my second series go out, sat next to David Schwimmer, and he was howling with laughter, I remember. Nice. It was very sweet. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know you at the time, but I felt like suddenly there was... 
a famous person called Catherine Tate. Mm. It did did seem to happen almost overnight. Yeah. And maybe I yes, but I probably did the same thing. I probably saw your series on the rerun. Yeah, and then, yeah. And then yeah. suddenly you were everywhere. There's a mixture of feelings to that, I'm imagining. You know, there's a wonderful sort of vindication. Yes. And also there's losing your anonymity is quite yeah. scary. A, a very scary. I think it is very scary. It's a thing that I think I reconciled early on is that you think it's a fair enough problem to have. If, of course. Do you know oh, what yeah, I mean? It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's that kind of thing. It's it's not necessarily awful. It's just it, it it's takes not, getting used to. It I takes suppose. me getting used to it, exactly. And then you get used to it. And yeah. then... It's when people say, oh, doesn't it get boring when people come up and ask for selfies or when, you know, but this happens all the time. You think, well, it'll be a lot more boring when they stop. Right, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. You know, I... You became you became sort of part of the national conversation, didn't you? I mean, Lauren, the character, schoolgirl character, she was sort of blamed for the dissolution of our I youth. Think, I think, yes, I did. I think or she I became, became a kind of totemic. She certainly did. Uh, I think, along with the Vicky Pollard character, yes. I think we were blamed for a lot of what was wrong with <laughs> with broken Britain. <laughs> Do you feel responsible? I can only apologise. <laughs> but do you know what? And I would always say this to anyone who ever really wanted to levy that charge ridiculously at a comic creation, mm. is I took great pains. Well, not great pains because it came quite naturally, but I was very aware. I never swore as that character. Mm -hmm. That character didn't swear. In her own way, she was very erudite. She was eloquent. She was, you know, she had a way with words. Yes. She knew she could... Well, as you know, she, yeah. she could... Uh, she had a sonnet under her belt. She had a sonnet under her belt. Yeah. She knew her periodic table. Yeah. And she could speak French. Sure. And uh, I wanted it to be a take on that, that, you know, it's, it's funny, but all people see is, is, is a girl with a loud mouth and think that's mm. a bad thing. Mm. And as I say when I go into schools, it's not. You need to be heard, whatever it is you're saying. It's better if what you're saying is uh, is something, you know, of, of, of importance or at least you feel it's important but kids need to be heard because so much of it is like you know it's all like that and you know it's like it's really they're down on their phones i'm like just be be heard be mm. loud be loud um it's so central to the national conversation did she become that you end up doing a sketch with the prime minister at yes, the time yes yes and indeed put lauren's catchphrase in his in mouth, his mouth yeah but how does that come about i mean do you phone them up do they, no, I does was Tony approached. let it be known? He's think, ready to do comedy I think comedy had now? it been at the beginning of Tony's reign, it possibly wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> possibly wouldn't. I think it was because, you know, it was at the end of the... The Tony um, Blair years. The Tony Blair years. And Comic Relief rang up and said, would you do a... So I mean, it was their idea. It was their was idea, it? yeah. Right. Uh, would you do... And I remember sitting on the stairs and getting this conversation, getting this call and going, sorry, Tony Blair? <laughs> Tony Blair? Tony Blair, Tony Blair. Tony Blair, Tony Blair. And us going in, and we filmed in Downing Street, which we never thought we'd do, yeah. you know, because people very rarely film in Downing Street. or most, Even most historical dramas 
are replicated, Quite. you know, and we filmed in Downingstroke. So all the time when I'm going up saying about, is he a prime minister, is he a prime yeah. minister? That was actually, the, you know, the stairs at Downing Street. We got a lot more time than we were told we would have because Tony Blair is, of course, the finest comic actor of his generation. He's very good in very that sketch. Very good. He's yeah. very good. And he knew that we weren't going to get it in the time that we'd been allotted. And there was a point where it came to him saying, am I bothered, am I bothered? And he wasn't hitting the right intonation because, let's face it, Tony Blair didn't know who I was, but people around him Ooh, had said... shush, no. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm absolutely... Why, why would he have the... I should bloody well hope he didn't know who I was. <laughs> he had running, to do yeah, exactly, time. running the country. But people around him knew that this was a popular thing to do and yeah. it would, would have, you know, it's for comic relief and this is a funny character and you should do this. Uh, no, I, I, I don't make no coyness about that. No, absolutely. Because partly because when he, when I'd come in to say hello... And I think I was talking about my daughter or something like that um, or kids and something like that. And he said to the makeup woman, how old is she? Because I think he thought I was a teenager at one point. Do you know what I mean? He did have the... (laughs) Well, I was in a school uniform as I first meet Tony Blair. Dressed as one. So he really had no... The the, the Croydon facelift, they call that, pulled back hairstyle. And... She's about 35. (laughs) 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 And... um, but, yeah, no, that was the thing. He couldn't quite get the right intonation. Okay. And you could feel in the room people going, oh, God, oh, my God. Because what he was saying was, am I bothered? Ah, he was going like that. Stressing the personal. Stressing the personal. And it was that moment where you go, oh, God, what are we going to do? But to his immense credit, he knew. And he said, I'm not saying it right, am I? I said, not quite. You're not quite hitting it. And he said to me, tell me how to say it. Right. Tell me how to say it. And he parroted it back. And then it worked. It's it's a really good sketch. Yeah. I watched it again the other day. It's, oh, really? It's yeah. fantastic. And, and, and that's the thing. I, at the time, it was to have him saying those words felt mm. like the closing of a circle, didn't it? It felt like something. Yeah. It, it, it yeah. was a really big deal. Yeah. With all the success of that, did you then think... Oh well, this is it. I'm I'm sort of Victoria Wood now. Or were you always still thinking I, I'm no. I'm, I'm wanting to get back to that sort of doing plays? Definitely, and, definitely. Right. But it made it a lot harder. Makes made it, it harder. Well, the thing is, once you are known for being funny, and I'm delighted to know sure. to be known for being funny, it can put you in a box, mm-hmm. and and that's a good box to be. It's 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 a nice box to be, but people are reluctant for you to do something that doesn't make them laugh. But I understand I am the person who said I'm a bothered. <laughs> Which then got into the dictionary. Did it? Bothered is now in the Oxford English Dictionary. B-O-double-V, is it? Yeah. E-R-E-D? Yeah. And do you get a little reference in the I don't know. I've O-E-D? never seen it. But when I went on, I did eight hours. I mean, I, I knew it had happened uh-huh. when it happened because it was word of the year and then it got put into the dictionary. So word of the year is a word you have created. Yes. And then it goes into the lexicon. Just give you a little tickle. Or again, are you just like... No, I didn't really... None of it ever really registers, I don't think. In fact, it was only... I mean, I'd known it had gone in, but it was only when I did 8 out of 10 Cats Does Countdown that Susie Dent, who is in Dictionary Corner... Yes, she is. And is a wonderful... you know, word historian. Mm. And she said, oh, I'm actually really excited. I've never met anyone who's has actually created a word that's gone into the dictionary. 
And I remember thinking, oh, yeah. yeah but I've something. never looked it up or anything like that. You should get T-shirts made or something. I should, really. But... And our paths first cross. Your show is at the height of its success and you come and do an episode of Doctor Who. Yes. You get smuggled in, in fact. Yes, I do. To do... One of the only secrets we ever managed to keep. That's what I remember Julie saying. Yeah, Julie yeah. Garner. I remember she saying it was the only secret. You were the yes. you were the the button on the end of, of my first season. Yeah, uh, where you appear in the TARDIS. Yeah, which then leads us into doing a, an episode together. But yes. but you were smuggled into Cardiff under cover of night with I a was. with a hood over your head. Yep. In a wedding dress, and in we recorded that tiny, tiny bit. scene with about four crew members. Yes. So it was, they yeah, were everyone else was at a rap party. Yeah. I mean, it was a proper lockdown. Yeah. So what tempted you to come and it was, join in? Had you watched any of the new Doctor Who? Well, the only episode I'd watched, because as I said, it wasn't my thing, hmm. but I'd heard... You'd th- never seen it as a kid? No, I had seen it. It was but like tinfoil and stuff Right, you paid something. no attention. No, and right. I remember, you know, doo-doo, I know the, the, theme, the tune. theme tune yeah. and a man with a scarf and... Not always. No, not yeah. always. <laughs> Jelly Babies or something. Yeah, yeah. And Daleks. Yeah. So I knew, but I didn't, and I knew there was a show called Doctor Who. Of course, I did. Yeah, it'd be hard to grow up in Britain with absolutely, and it was, but it had no particular. It had no engagement for you. Definitely not. I don't know that I would have ever necessarily seen a whole episode when I was a kid. I'd heard it was coming back, Mm. or it had come back with Russell T Davis, who I'd love from Queer as Folk. Yes, and Chris Eccleston. Okay, that's right. So there was a massive, you know, obviously it's a massive big deal. I turn on. And it's the episode about where Rose is a baby. Oh, yes. Right? Now, I think that was Chris Eccleston. That I wasn't think it you. Was. Yeah. So everything's now set back in the 80s. This is my introduction into the new rebranded Doctor Who. I see. And I'm looking and I'm going, well, it's absolutely shocking. <laughs> like the production values haven't changed at all. This is how I remember it. I mean, like they'd set it as a period piece, yes, the whole thing. Yes. I see. It had been set as a period piece. Right. And I'm like, they've. They've dug up the old costumes. Quite a fundamental wearing. misunderstanding a of fundamental the show. A fundamental misunderstanding. And I just, so I didn't bother watching it anymore. Brilliant. On that have you ever told episode. Russell this? I don't know if I have. <laughs> but I do remember thinking, well, this is absolutely appalling. It looks exactly <laughs> the same as when I watched it when I was a kid. And didn't think anything more about it until you came on. I didn't watch it, but I knew you were on it Uh and I knew that I thought you were great. And then I got a call to say, would you be in this episode? And I said, I didn't read it or anything. I said, absolutely, didn't know what the part was or anything like that. I said, absolutely, I'd love to. Then the script comes, you know, it comes with your name on every page, doesn't it? And I remember opening it because I like to open stuff in the middle and just See, see how much you're in it. See, not even, no, not, not even flick through. I like, I like to open it up when I first get a script, open it up and then remember that bit that I've just read. And so when I get to film it, I think, oh, this was the bit I first looked at. Nice. And it was, and it said, I knew that the, the character was called Donna and it said, and it said, Donna is suspended in a in a massive cobweb in the ceiling wearing a wedding dress. I remember thinking, well, this is something new, isn't it? <laughs> um... No, I just said yes and jumped in. Were you aware of the levels of enthusiasm that this show... I mean, it was all new to you. No, didn't know anything about it. In fact, I actually don't think I realised, actually till last year, quite how popular the show is. Right, yes. 
and certainly had no idea that my character was popular. Do you know what it was? It was on the first day of filming. Someone said it was a, it was a journalist. That's why I don't speak to journalists. Wise. They said to me, can you imagine this? The first day of filming, they said, oh, what do you think about all the, char- all the fan base hating the fact that you're coming back? That was on my first day of filming, going back into oh, the show. Oh, you came back as a yeah. regular. when I came back. And I said, oh, I didn't know. And so I'm filming the whole show thinking, oh, God. So oh. I didn't, that's why I didn't bother. Well, not that I ever seek to find out. I just kind of thought, oh, well, this is, you know, I'll just enjoy doing it because I loved doing it and yeah. I loved playing the character and I loved filming it and I loved working with you and it was great. But all the time I was thinking, oh, no, people are going to be like what, so the, shouting. So this journalist would, had said that he'd found people online saying... I suppose. I mean, that was, that that was, was all he said though. to me and I didn't... And I, I, I just but you're bothered a, away. a fan favourite. Oh, a firm fan favourite. Oh, yeah. right, but I had no idea. Right. I had no idea. He was just trying to wind you up. Presumably. Maybe, maybe not. Just that could have felt rather heartbreaking. Oh, it was awful. And I remember, I remember going back to Russell when he took him off the set. <laughs> Quite right, too. Where is he now? Who knows? It is the independent. Who knows? I don't know. Who knows? Um, yes, because you then you did this one episode and then you came back as a regular. Yeah. Uh, which none of us were expecting you to say yes to. Right, 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 right. Julie went off. There was a whole other, there was another actress lined up. Was there really? I mean, she doesn't know this. No. The thing was, Julie Garner, the executive producer, she's going to have lunch with Catherine. She's going to ask her if she'll come back for a whole series. Obviously, she won't. Yeah. So on Monday, we're sending out the offer to wow. uh, to play this character. Yeah. I mean, there was a character breakdown and everything. Wow. It was a sort of formality yes, that, that yes, they, were, yes. they were going to. You but thought you may as well. Might as well give it a punt. May as well as wish you had. Yeah. But you, did you have a hesitation? I remember. I remember exactly because you're absolutely right. She took me out to lunch. And my jaw genuinely dropped open because no point was I ever expecting her to say that. Right. I just was not expecting it. And I did, I just thought that would be a really good thing to do. Mm. Something drew me to it. And it was just strange because it's, as you say, I wasn't tied to the show. It wasn't, it wasn't a part, it wasn't a thing I felt I wanted to be necessarily more involved with apart from when they asked me. Cause I just thought it was a one-off thing. Yeah. I absolutely loved doing the runaway bride. How brilliant. But, yeah, d- didn't for a minute think. So you went from a guest character in the Christmas special to, to having this fully developed history and a family. Yes, and and, and then it all tying up, which is yeah. testimony to, to Russell's genius. Yes, whether he makes it up as he goes along. Makes it up or, as he goes along it or plans it all. Who exactly. Knows? Who knows? But did you feel that you had to sort of approach it differently? Did it feel like a different character? No, I didn't at all. Uh, d- differently, what do you mean in terms of... Well, I suppose because it went from a sort of one-shot Women in a wedding dress to to this character that had yeah well I loved a, a, that I loved that a about mum and it. a dad and a granddad yeah and... and I also loved that we would get the episodes you know on a Thursday and yeah. you'd read through them to, you know I I knew that I loved that we didn't know what was coming mm. I, I I I loved it yeah no I I loved it I loved doing it it was and you've since discovered the depth of enthusiasm that the show engenders in a way that you didn't really realise. Oh, I had absolutely no idea. Yeah. No. I mean, ge- genuinely. Does it does it surprise you how much, yeah. I mean, when you meet people, you go to conventions yeah. and you meet yeah. people, is it is it shocking? I'm, I've certainly experienced things at conventions that I've not really experienced. It's, there's a level of intensity hmm. that I hadn't expected. I think you are. You're sort of shocked and you know delighted and mm. um, but amazed at as well. Especially, but of course, I mean, I had to really kind of 
remember stuff because I, you know, it's like I don't, I don't even remember what I was wearing in the show. And then people come up and say, "Do you know? Do you recognise this?" <laughs> you go, "Why would I recognise that?" And yeah. it's because they're wearing something I wore, you know. Mm-hmm. And now I, now I know. I mean, I suppose the wedding dress gave it away a little bit, but it still didn't occur to me that they were dressing as me. But I've seen people dressed as every costume you yes. wore in that show. Yeah, yeah. The Roman one and the you know, Roman one, the Christie the, one. Um, and, yeah. yeah, it's like yeah, it's a delightful thing to be um, a spectator at. I think because I feel I am a spectator at those events. Do you? You don't? Yeah. Think you, you haven't crossed over into being a Hoovian. I, I mean, I feel, I do genuinely feel that I, I am part of something, though. Yes. But I just don't know what it, I don't think I know the to the entire depth that it is I'm part of because they talk about things that I don't know. Yes. And, and when, you're, you're not setting your uh, TiVo box to get the new series. It's not I'm something. Not, you, no. I haven't watched it. I haven't watched, but I haven't watched it. Well, I don't think I watched it when we were on it. So no, I'm quite. not going to start. Ever. I haven't watched it ever. <laughs> I haven't watched it. Yeah. Um, I know it's about, you know, aliens and stuff. Um, it's a perfect precy. Yeah, it's about aliens and stuff. Yeah. And But it's, you know, it's more about the relationships, I think. And that that's what I, I thought it was about. And it, But I, I am very amazed at how much people connect with it. Mm. And they really do. Mm. You know, it's, it's a really, and I don't take that lightly, how much people love the show. Mm. Well, quite, and it, it probably there's probably competition for what the first line of your obituary is. <laughs> no, yes. you know, yes, yeah, uh, Lauren and Donna, yeah. yeah, fighting it out. Um, and obviously your show, and then Doctor Who. It was when we were on stage together doing much to do but nothing that you went off to do a little bit. Of course, in the first time you went off to the office. Yes, 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 yes. When you got because which was also a show you loved, right? The American yes, office. Yes, yes. And you went and did like a, a similar thing to Doctor Who. You went off to do a sort I of, went off to do a, little a, bit, a one-off yeah. mm. before going back full-time later. Yeah. I love the British office as well. In fact, when yes. the American office first came out, I, I resisted watching it for years because mm. I thought, how dare they? Sure. And then I absolutely loved it's it. It's a different show, isn't it? It ultimately. is a different show. It yeah. is. Yeah. And that, so that was, that, was, that was a lovely experience. How much of a culture shock was that doing... An American sitcom, because you said you grew up loving the American yeah. shows and suddenly there you are going on a Hollywood lot every day. Yeah. The process is surprisingly similar. It's just there's more money mm-hmm. involved in, you know, it's just everything has more money thrown at it, mm. it seems to me. And uh, it's a bigger machine. Mm. It's a bigger machine. But ultimately, we're all doing the same thing. You know, you're, you know, ultimately, there's only one way to get a shot and that's... That, cameras being turned on so is there a novelty that wears off once you realize that or is i i think yes i think that there inevitably is when you're in a long-running show yeah even though it's always delightful it's always it's always fun and and often i I, you know because i've i don't do do shows that last that long usually jobs you Mm. know this was like an 18 month of course. Job, you know, and I'd, I'd, I'd not really done that before. So I was a little bit, I mean, you get into the groove of it, but then it kind of becomes routine. And that, Did, did you like California? Like did you like? I didn't initially, not because of the place, just because of my situation. You know, it's, it's a lonely place to be, especially Los Angeles. Los, mm. Angeles. Los Angeles is a place that doesn't give up its secrets easily. Right. You can very much feel like an outsider. And I was there entirely on my own, you right. know, absolutely on my own. And I hated it. I hated it. And then, of course, as it goes, by the time I'd finished that season, 
you know, I turned a corner and I loved mm. it and I'd met people and my daughter was out there and my mum was out there and it was all, and we'd got two dogs that we've, right. you know, it was all fine, you know. But at the beginning, it was brutal and I didn't like it and um, it was hard. And you did two further, you did... I kind of did, I was across three seasons. Yes. So I did one episode in one, ten episodes in another and the entire season of the right. last one, yeah, right. yeah. So by the end, you were having a great time. I absolutely loved it and feel very grateful that I that I then got introduced to an American audience that way because obviously, funnily enough, there are comedy fans, but my, my show is more like a cult hit out there. And then the Doctor Who, which again has a, a big following, but mm. again, it's more culty. Mm. But obviously there I was then on a mainstream show that is constantly in syndication and repeated. Yes. So most people now know me from Nelly from the office, uh, you right. know, which which is That's which is funny. Three things competing for the first line of the obituary. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I d- I'm not sure that uh, my character from the office would necessarily be up there. But you know, it is amazing how TV infiltrates, you know, yeah. people's lives. You've been a, a jobbing actor, very successful. Yeah. You've also been someone who's created their own stuff. When you're thinking about well, where you go next, are you always? feeling the impetus to be creating something for yourself or are you happy to just wait for the phone to ring? No, because I feel like I have to make the stuff happen for myself. Like, for example, I will always want to do theatre, but I think a lot of people think, oh, she's doing her own stuff, so don't ask her. You, I see. you know what I mean? And so you sort of have to make it known that you want to do stuff. But because of that, I always think, oh, I can't wait for the phone to ring because, again... I feel like I'll be more productive making making stuff happen myself. Mm. Um, and I would love to be the, the kind of actor that just gets offered great, great stuff all the time. But I don't. I, I have to make it known what I want to do and then go and make it happen. And do, so do you have a work ethic that pushes you on? Is there something forged in the... Yes, in it's the... Fear, fear of failure. Right. Absolutely. My, right. I mean, not only is my glass half empty... It's not what I ordered. <laughs> I mean, that is my life, ethic, you know, ethic. It's furious. <laughs> not only is it not what I ordered, the chip in the rim. Do you think you need to have that to be funny? Do you think you need to have a cynicism to be funny? For me, definitely. If I was a... Because che- I, I don't think cheerful people... I suppose the thing is, if you delight in everything... You probably don't. You don't need um, to hear laughter anywhere else. But I think because the dark recesses of my mind are so bloody negative, I need to hear laughter just to to remind me that it's all all just right. Just to open your eyes in the morning. Yes, just so I need to elicit laughter out of people. I think I what I have is great periods of intensity, where I know that the workload that I've created for myself. Some people may buckle under it, just in terms of the stress that I put myself under. Mm. And then I'll do nothing. Right. Like nothing. I could I could sit in my house and do nothing, like nothing for a week. Yeah. I wouldn't get bored and then it would kick in and then I'd... And, and I don't think it's even a work ethic that kicks in, it's fear. Right. <laughs> fear. <laughs> fear and negativity. Fear and negativity. Yes. I think we I think that's a perfect place to end it. (laughs) 
David Tennant does a podcast with is a Something Else and No Mystery production. Produced and edited by James Deacon. Additional production from Chris Skinner, Steve Ackerman, Sarah Camlett, Josh Gibbs, Joel Freeman and Georgia Tennant. Next time. Oh my God! <laughs> Dave, do you have any yeah. idea? I would have been literally there the wrong day. <laughs> Please see attached advance sheet for Saturday. <laughs> oh my God, I gotta move some stuff. <laughs> also from something else. Something rhymes with purple. Susie Dent and Giles Brandreth are here to increase your word power as they discuss amazing facts and stories behind phrases and words. A vexillophile is somebody who's keen on... Flags. Oh, how did you know that? You just did. You're so clever. Arenophiles. Okay, well, the word arena comes from sand because the arenas in the Roman amphitheatre were covered with sand to soak up the gladiators' blood. Correct. So, anything to do with that? Arenophile is a sand enthusiast. Listen now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcast apps.